Okay, let's get it. Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona. Glad to have you aboard with us. You can catch me every weekday afternoon, ESPN Radio, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, Cox Sports Television, and here on the Locked on LSU podcast. Start today by giving you a little bit of context for Grant Delpit's offseason. I had a chance to visit with the uh, unanimous All-American safety last week at SEC Football Media Days. And the award watch lists keep piling up for Grant. And what it's setting the stage for the table for is what could be one of the single greatest seasons in the history of LSU football and a guy that in future years could be honored like the past greats that currently have their jerseys retired by LSU. Here's some thoughts I shared on Grant Delpit and the watch list circuit so far. Grant Delpit today was named to the watch list for the Nagurski Award. So this is the third watch list that he's been named to already. Uh, he's also on the Thorpe and the Bednarik watch list. Uh, the uh, the Nagurski and Bednarik go to the best defensive player in college football. The Thorpe, of course, goes to the best defensive back. And I'm just I'm keeping an eye on this because Delpit has the chance, and maybe this is just fresh in my mind because of the news yesterday with Mahmoud having his jersey retired. Delpit has the chance this year to solidify himself in that completely rarefied air that typically takes two years to achieve that could ultimately grant him that status one day. Um, uh, real quick, I'll come to Delpit in a second, but a few observations from the list. Number one, Nagurski list, 92 players on the Nagurski. Ninety-two players are on the Nagurski watch list. Again, if you're an impactful player, fancy yourself as an impactful player, and you're not on the watch list, you're probably not an impactful player because everybody's on it. That's one. Um, from LSU, they had three guys on the Nagurski list. It was Delpit, as we mentioned, also Christian Fulton, and Jacob Phillips. Uh, LSU was one of three schools that had three players on the Nagurski. I'm sorry, four. Uh, Iowa State, Notre Dame, and Penn State also had three players each on the Nagurski watch list. So congrats to them. Obviously, a um, pretty solid group of returning players from, from teams that were pretty good. Um, some have asked, and I got this on Twitter today, why Christian Fulton was on the Nagurski but not the Thorpe. And when you think about it, it's what I alluded to. There's 92 players on the Nagurski. There's 46 on the Thorpe. That's why. It's just going to be more inclusive when you look at the Nagurski with 92 players, 90, 92 players on the list. So I, I wouldn't read anything into it. Going into his sophomore year, Tyron Matthew won on any of these lists, and then he had the greatest defensive season that anybody's ever seen in the history of LSU or maybe in the history of college football. It, I mean, it's up there. You can use whatever metrics you want, but the way he impacted the game, you all get it. But you know, mentioning Tyron, and again, considering yesterday, the whole so much of the show was caught up in Mahmoud's jersey retirement, and then Tyron and Patrick Peterson coming back to LSU to help unveil the, the new football ops renovations, and so much is talked about about their those two players and their legacy. And really, when you look at it, man... There is a very short list in the history of LSU football when you talk about the greatest seasons or the greatest defensive players in the history of LSU football. There's been a lot of great players. One of them already has his name right there on the face of Tiger Stadium, 
and that's Tommy Casanova. LSU's only three-time All-American. Uh, three-time first-team All-American. So his 37 justifiably has been honored. The other ones, when you look at winning national awards, it's a short list. It's Glenn Dorsey, it's Tyron, it's Patrick Peterson. I mean, that's kind of it. Mo Claiborne also won the Thorpe. I don't want to be dismissive of that. But when you're talking about in this context, Mo had that one great season in 2011 and then, of course, became a first-round draft pick. Um, Tyron won the Bednarik and was a Heisman finalist. Dorsey won the Lombardi, Outland, Nagurski, and Lott. And then Peterson won the Bednarik and the Thorpe. Grant Delpit is in this, this situation where... In the history of LSU football, you've had single-digit number of unanimous All-Americans. Like the three guys I just mentioned, Tyron, Patrick Peterson, and Glenn Dorsey, were not unanimous All-Americans. As odd as that is, those guys weren't unanimous All-Americans. Delpit was. That's one. He's already a finalist for three national awards. If he wins multiple of them, you're going to have a really strong case that one day Grant Delpit's number would be you know, honored with the others in Tiger State. Now, for me, and I mentioned this yesterday on the show, I think the next guy that's worthy of that honor is Glenn Dorsey. He's LSU's most decorated defensive player, and no defensive player is ever going to win the Heisman Trophy, so no defensive player is ever going to be named the National Player of the Year, so you don't have that opportunity to win that award, so you have to use other other metrics. Like, in basketball, you can look at National Player of the Year, and Shaq and Pistol Pete won National Player of the Year, and so, like, that's a very obvious you know, designation. You're not going to get that in football. So you look at these national awards and then you throw on top of it the fact that Glenn was you know, came back for a senior year, was part of a national championship team. That's very obvious. I'm not trying to like heap undue expectations on Grant Delpit. I mean, everything he's got and all the the uh, all the bouquets being thrown his way are justified. I think Ryan Clark last year said it best on this show when he said Grant Delpit is playing safety better than anyone has played the position at LSU in the last 20 years. And he included himself and Jamal Adams and Eric Reed and guys that went on to be first-round draft picks. He didn't say he was a better pro prospect. He didn't say he's better than those players. He said he's playing the position at a higher level than any of those guys did last year. And clearly went on to be a unanimous All-American. There was some truth to that. If Delpit can replicate that season this year, and that's a big if, but if he can replicate that season this year because he's already got the name recognition, he's also got the unanimous All-America honors, if he takes home multiple national awards, he's going to put himself side-by-side side with Glenn Dorsey in the conversation and and obviously with Tommy Casanova as a three-time All-American as the greatest defensive player in LSU history. Now, he's got to go, he's got to go fulfill that this year with teams avoiding him because of who he is. But if he is able to do that and have that kind of season and replicate what he did a season ago, you're going to be talking about one of the greatest defensive seasons, if not the greatest defensive players in the history of LSU football. So tuck that away because sometimes we can't appreciate history until after it's happened and we can only reflect on it. In this instance, we all know what we're about to watch. And seldom does, does, the, does the play out ever live up to the hype. But this is one of those instances where it just might. So keep an eye, man. But would he put nine or seven up there? Ah, the preemptive questions to ponder. It is Locked on LSU, your team every day. We'll knock out a quick break. At ESPN poking the bear at LSU. Are they really not DBU? We'll get to that. And we know uh, another non-conference opponent for the basketball Tigers this year 
The eyes of Texas are upon you. You know that by now. All right, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We continue Locked On LSU, your team every day. Uh, ESPN poking the bear. Is LSU really not DBU? Get to that here in just a second. But we know that uh, LSU is going to return to the SEC Big 12 Challenge for basketball this year um, after a two-season hiatus. Of course, remember we saw uh, the Ben Simmons team play Buddy Heald in the PMAC, uh, which Oklahoma then was number one in the country, which a great game a few years back at the, uh, the Maravich Center. But uh, we uh, now know, according to John Rothstein of uh, CBS Sports, that uh, LSU is going to play Texas January 25th in Austin. So... The baseball Tigers this past year went to Austin. We know the football Tigers are heading to Austin September the 7th, and it appears as though the basketball Tigers uh, January 25th will be headed to Austin as well. So LSU just can't stay out of of Austin. The other interesting layer here is that Will Wade, of course, was an assistant at VCU before he became the head coach, and he was an assistant at VCU under Texas head coach Shaka Smart. So – Both Shaka Smart and Will Wade have a uh, relationship back to their days at VCU, and they'll face each other head-to-head as head coaches in Austin in the uh, 7th Annual SEC Big 12 Challenge. It will be televised on the ESPN family and networks. It'll include 10 teams um, from the SEC and all 10 of the Big 12 schools. So four SEC teams sit out each year. Um, I I, I misspoke. LSU last played uh, in this event when they played in Lubbock and they played Texas Tech in 2017. They, of course, did play the year prior when they played Oklahoma and the Buddy Heal team. But uh, if you might remember, LSU beat West Virginia on the road in 2014, and then the 2016 game I mentioned where they lost to uh, to number one Oklahoma at the PMAC. So we'll look forward to that. Another really nice non-conference game for the Basketball Tigers is that non-conference schedule is coming together for uh, Will Wade in year three at the helm of the LSU Basketball Tigers. All right, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. Two quick things that we'll get to, as we mentioned, ESPN poking the bear with their position U rankings, but also we learned that Georgia and Notre Dame now officially will be the night game on CBS this year. Your boy called this a few months back that the Georgia-Notre Dame is going to be the night game on CBS. They've announced it now. Uh, We kind of knew it because they had to designate the slot, and that was going to be the game, but it just made too much sense, and I'm fired up for it. You take LSU-Alabama off of that CBS primetime. Eight in a row is enough. Like CBS doesn't need to keep prop upping that propping up that game when it's not a game anymore. So until LSU wins it and proves they can win it, it's not worth having that game in prime time. So Georgia Notre Dame. Here's the other thing though to keep an eye on. Uh, George, it, it, CBS has already had to designate its two doubleheaders. Remember they have like an 11 a.m. and a 2:30 doubleheader, and then the day night doubleheader. So the day night doubleheader is September 21st. That's when Georgia Notre Dame will be in prime time. That's the day LSU plays Vandy. So that's not going to be obviously CBS 2:30. The other playing date is uh, November 16th. That's when LSU plays at Ole Miss. So unlikely that is going to be on CBS also. 
The thing to keep in mind, though, there's a possibility that, and while CBS has the first choice in in picking these, the selecting you know, selecting in a given week which game it'll take at two thirty. Um, ear to ground, there's some chatter that ESPN, and there was some talk about this at Media Days. There's some chatter that ESPN might try to pluck the LSU Alabama game as a night game. So, like conventional wisdom would be, well, of course CBS is going to take it. They're just going to put it at two thirty. Um, but just like in 2011, if you remember, in 2011 CBS had already had their night game that year, and when Game of the Century rolled around, CBS bartered with ESPN to get the Game of the Century at night on CBS. So they had two night games that year. Well, and they in and, and for doing that. They awarded certain windows, like first choice windows, to ESPN in different uh, in different weekends. ESPN similarly might be willing to barter with CBS uh, for something to get the LSU Alabama game at night. If CBS would pass on the two thirty um, uh, window for LSU Alabama that first Saturday in November, so I don't think in any way that that is done. But I think that's something ESPN would very much like to do is to get the LSU Alabama game at night on ESPN. So. Uh, we'll see if that happens, but it's um, it's at least something that at Media Days, ear to ground, people were were talking about. Uh, again, not done. I'm not reporting or breaking any news, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that LSU Bama is 2:30 on CBS. I think it might be an ESPN night game. Um, other thing that was kind of interesting that I came across today was, uh, and you probably you probably saw this. Uh, ESPN.com did their, this is a perfect summertime topic, is they're sort, sort of wetting people's appetite for college football before camp reports, you know, teams report for camp, but camp starts. Uh, they did position you. So ESPN Stats and Info used a whole bunch of different metrics like draft picks and All-Americas, National Award winners, and so on to come up with a metric to spit out which programs had produced the best talent at certain positions. Like LSU and Florida have this debate over DBU. Well, this was a, 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 a numerical statistical ranking that ESPN Stats and Info sped out. So uh, LSU is on one, two, three, four of the position lists. Um, two of them probably will not surprise you. Two of them might. They're, they're third on the list as far as running back you. How about that? Bama, Wisconsin, then LSU. Now the interesting thing is they list notable players. Leonard Fournette, Kevin Falk, and Jacob Hester. I mean, I love my guy. Love my guy. Darius Geis, Jeremy Hill, Stephen Ridley, Spencer Ware, Alfred Blue, Kevin, Kenny Hilliard, Terrence McGee. A lot of guys playing in the NFL. But as far as just a college back, though, I'll give Hester a nod. I'll give him a nod. We were, we were joking about that earlier. A wide receiver U, they got LSU fifth behind USC, Ohio State, Florida State, Oklahoma State. They list Odell, Clayton, and Jarvis. Man, think about it. They didn't even list Josh Reed, who won the damn Belitnikoff. <laughs> Josh Reed, Dwayne Bowe, Buster... Uh, um, Buster Davis, DJ Shark, Brandon LaFell, Terrence Tolliver. You had some dudes now. Uh, defensive line U, they had LSU fourth. This is the one that's going to ruffle some feathers, though, because as DBU, they did not have LSU as DBU. Nor did they have Florida, however. They had Ohio State as DBU. And uh, LSU second, Bama third, then Florida fourth. So Florida, you have no leg to stand on in this conversation anymore. Let's still take LSU over Ohio State. All right, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. We'll wrap up with some Q&A next. Okay, we're wrapping up another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Glad to have you aboard with us. Please subscribe to the podcast if you've not yet done so. 
uh, rate us on iTunes. All that stuff helps tremendously. So i uh, going to get back to Facebook Live Q&A. Uh, if you're not familiar, at Matt Moscona AFR on Facebook, set notifications. When we go live, hop on with us here and get your questions answered real time. Like Mark McCarter, who starts by saying, Matt, what are your thoughts on Reed's comments about the locker room, that being Eric Reed? Um, so I like Eric Reed on a very personal level. And I think he is a very uh, convicted young man. I think we forget sometimes that he's not yet 30, but uh, he sticks to his convictions. He's very passionate. You may not agree with his stance or his politics, but I believe Eric comes from a really good place. A good man, good husband, good father, good person. Uh, Again, you may philosophically disagree with him, and that's okay, but you can do so respectfully, as he does, and he's been respectful in his disagreement. Um, As for his comments on the locker room, it didn't seem like it was so much against the locker room. My read into Eric Reed's tweets was that he was sort of falling in line with Jay Billis, saying, what's the need for these locker rooms? Let's pay players. Let's endow scholarships. Um, I'm always leery about telling anybody what to do with their disposable income. And be it $5 or $5 million, if you have disposable income, you can do with it what you want. And I wouldn't tell someone what to do with their money, uh, just like I don't want someone telling me what to do with my money. Uh, As long as you are not neglecting responsibility in how you spend your money, for example, Uh, If your kid needs clothes and you're blowing money on the movies, that's neglecting responsibility. Uh, If you have $100 million in the bank and you give a million dollars to LSU Athletics to help build the football ops center, it's your prerogative. I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. If you spend money on a boat and fishing rods and reels and bait and tackle and you have $10,000 in hunting rifles and hunting licenses and a hunting camp. All that money is money you could donate to, to cancer charities or children's charities or many different things, but it's your disposable income and it's what you've elected to do with your money. So I'm never going to I'm never going to criticize someone for what they elect to do with their disposable income because I don't want somebody criticizing me for what I choose to spend my disposable income on. Um, but philosophically, what Eric's saying about endowing scholarships and giving money and paying players I'm all for that, but that's also not an LSU issue because my guess is that if Title IX and the NCAA allowed, LSU would pay athletes. They'd pay student-athletes. They have the means to, but rules don't allow it. So if and when that ever were to happen, I think LSU would be in line to do that. But I can I can respectfully disagree with Eric. There's parts I agree with, but I think um, as long as you're having a respectful dialogue, I'm good with it. Uh, let's see. Donnie McDonald, what are your thoughts on the locker room? Too much money. Uh, Donnie, go back and listen to yesterday, Tuesday's podcast. Gave my long-form comments on that, and uh, I don't think it's too much money. I think it's keeping up with the Joneses. I don't think it's misplaced priorities because it was all privately funded. And, again, you're, who are we to tell people how to spend their private money? Uh, Mike Gravois, who – and the other thing, too, is there's a functionality involved in everything LSU did with that building. It's not a waterfall in a barber shop and a mini golf course, a putt putt golf course. There's functionality with everything they did. It's it's lavish, make no mistake, but it's also functional. Mike Gravois, who will be the huge standout this season as a receiver, or will it be a group effort? I think they'll get more receivers involved, but the guy I'm expecting to have a monster season this year is Jamar Chase. I just think he's a total stud star in the making. Um Justin Jefferson obviously is going to be LSU's one and he's got a great rapport with Burrow, but I think Jamar Chase is the one that emerges. Karen Landry, are any starters injured at this time? 
Karen, nope. Uh, they are as healthy and good to go as you could imagine. So that's all fantastic news. They should be uh, ready to roll come start of camp next week. Cole Pierce, who do you think will be the number two running back at the start of the season, at the end of the season also? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if Chris Curry or Leonard Fournette were given those first reps, but I do believe that that it's going to be uh, Ty Davis Price. And it's because, you know, Ed Ogeron loves the U- the concept of the UFC off- UC- USC excuse me, offense with Reggie Bush, Lendale White. Clyde Edwards-Elair is the Reggie Bush. I'm not saying he's Reggie. What I'm saying is he fills that role within the offense. Does that make sense? And you need the Lendale White. You need the big thumper, and that's Ty Davis-Price. You know, 6'1", 235-ish. He's going to be that guy, and they, they like him a lot. Uh, have you heard any more about Ed Ingram rejoining the team? Heard in the summer it's possible. Uh, Cole, Ed uh, Ogeron addressed that last week at SEC Football Media Days and said he's less optimistic now than he was. So that stinks. If Ed Ingram were back, he's a he's a, a, an immediate starter. You're, I mean, your starting guards would be Ed Ingram and, uh, and Damian Lewis. But instead, it looks like you're probably going to have that left guard, uh, Chase and Hines and uh, Cardell Thomas battling for that starting job. Tyler, what are the key position battles in camp? Who do we see winning those starting jobs? Left guard is one we just alluded to there. Obviously, there are reps to be had at running back. I will be fascinated to see what they do at outside linebacker opposite Caleb on Chasson. You know he's on one side, and since they've kicked Mike Divinity to the inside, he and Jacob Phillips are there. So the question at the other outside backer is, does Patrick Queen stay out there? Um, do you do you start Jacoby Stevens as an outside linebacker, kind of a rover? You know, and Todd Harris and Delpit are your safeties. I think that's really interesting as well. And can anybody can anybody uh, beat out Derek Stingley Jr. for the starting job opposite Christian Fulton? Uh, you know, can Kerry Vincent exist on an island? Uh, you know, those those I think are the, are the interesting questions as you head into camp. Let's see, besides Chasson on the edge and Divinity moving inside, I see the other two linebacker spots playing out. Yeah, I just talked about that a little bit. Um, I think Jacob Phillips is obviously one of your starters inside, and I I think Patrick Queen playing both inside and out last year gave him a pretty significant head start. Let's see, a couple of more. Um, how many games do you think we see Brennan off the bench? Uh, I think as many as they can possibly get him in. I, a lot of candid conversations I had this summer – they're pretty excited about Miles Brennan next year, and everyone within that program readily understands that it's his team for two years starting next year, and they are trying to get him ready as best they can while understanding this is Joe Burrow's team. Let's see, what do you think about the LSU-Texas SEC Big 12 matchup this year in basketball? So in the last uh, segment on this podcast, I just talked about that. Uh, I love it. I love the Will Wade, Shaka Smart head-to-head matchup, and baseball, football, and basketball all have traveled to Austin in a calendar year with um, with that, so... Let's see, how do you think Marshall and Chase do in year two? Looking for a big step up for both. Alluded to it, I think Jamar Chase is the breakout star offensively this year for LSU. Uh, Terrace Marshall, I'll be I'll be curious. I think he's got to refine his game a little bit more. Uh, Ryan O'Neal, are you worried about linebackers this year? Actually, no. For the first time in a long time, no. I think they've got plenty of depth there. Um, and if they're able to get Tyler Taylor back, that would add another one. Uh, and there's Jacob uh, Buccellio asking about Tyler Taylor. Uh haven't heard anything. Ingram, Ed Ogeron said it's not looking as good. But the thing I'll tell you is both Ingram and Taylor are still on the roster. They have they have a scholarship available. 
uh, and both are listed on LSU's roster. So that lets you know that LSU, with the information they've gathered, are confident in backing their two guys. And the fact that they're on the roster still tells you that if they're cleared legally, that both will be playing for LSU. When that happens, well, that's up to a court or a judge in Georgia and Texas, respectfully, and not Ed Ogeron, unfortunately. Who do you think will be the starting five across the O-line? Uh, left to right, Sadiq Charles, Chasen Hines, Lloyd Cushenberry, Damian Lewis, Austin Deculus. Um, but Deculus, I think, is tenuous. Let's be honest. Uh, he struggled mightily last year. You know, could Adrian McGee um, win that job at right tackle? Maybe. Uh, Badara Traora was the JUCO number one offensive tackle in the country last year. They were hoping would fill that spot, and he really struggled in that transition. In year two, could he be better? Maybe. But um, I still think someone's got to go beat out Deculus at this point. Let's see, Donnie, biggest weakness with the team. Uh, how will the defense look? I think the defense is stacked. Um, got a couple of, like we mentioned, a couple of positions they got to fill. One of the outside linebackers who starts opposite Fulton. Some of those questions, but they got a ton of talent. Uh, the biggest weakness is the offensive line. Uh, they were bad last year, and they returned everybody. But when you return everybody from a bad group, it doesn't mean you're, you're better. So um, they got to improve or via um, the you know, system provide some some uh, relief to that offensive line. Joe Brady talked about getting rid of the ball quickly. I think that's a that's a good way to do it. Karen, do you think we have enough depth on both lines now? Uh, I think defensive line depth is probably the biggest defensive weakness on this team. I like your first two ends with um, uh, Fajoko and Lawrence. Behind them, you've got Glenn Logan and Neil Farrell. So you got four guys there that you like, but nobody else really behind them that uh, that has any experience that you trust. So that's if you have an injury on the defensive line, you you could be in some trouble. Let's see. Let's see if we can get one more in here. Do you like the deal? This is Brad Ellerby. Do you like the deal with Brady having a play ready and Ensminger having the ability to override? Sure. I, and they, I'm sure, came up with that system. Now, I just don't know if it'll work. I, in, in theory, it sounds good. Let's see how it plays out when they get into games. I mean, let's not forget, last year, Jerry Sullivan was in the box next to Steve Ensminger, and that clearly wasn't efficient. And Steve didn't like having Jerry in his ear. So Jerry, about halfway through the season, went back down to the field. So does this work? Yeah, we'll see. But in concept and theory, I really like it. All right, uh, it's going to do it for us. A little Locked on LSU, your team every day. Please uh, share this podcast. If you've not done so yet, subscribe to it. We appreciate it greatly. And we'll be back tomorrow. Tell a friend, Locked on LSU, your team every day.